I'm here with Bruce and Linda Morak on July 12, 2015. You guys are home on furlough for the month of... Yeah, we uh, fly out in one month on the 12th of August. How long do you, do you get home? How long do you get to be home? This year, we were here eight. for eight weeks. Yeah. yeah. And where have you been? So far? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we've been to Alaska. We went up and saw our son up there and uh, hung out with him for a week for our, with our grandkids and... And uh, went to went to the church that he goes to, and and uh, we went, actually got to go to a church picnic and meet a lot of the the pastors and men that he works with, and so and then um, we've been to a few churches like Kootenai and Southside and uh, Trinity today, and how many churches do you visit when you're home on furlough? Uh, Laclede. Mm-hmm. We have eight churches that uh, are actually involved in our support. And then uh, if, if I have extra time, uh, we like to go. Uh, there's Hayford Community Church. We like to go down there because a friend of mine is uh, is the pastor there. And uh, Rick Hord, you know him, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know Rick. So anyway, so if we, we get a chance. Uh, one, they get support from their support system. Yeah. The church doesn't, but, the, but we have the support with us. Yeah. So we like that church. And, and then, um, and then as much as I can, I actually like to go to my home church. Which but is hardly one ever. or two weeks out of the Yeah, year. well, it's going to be maybe one time, maybe two times this, this year, but, so, um, so that's where we've been. And then we work at the camp. We like to plug into the camp and, and, uh, and do, you know, as much as we can. Linda's been doing flowers now for the last three years. And then, uh, I just help, offer to help where I can, so. Have you watched The Princess Bride in the last year? Uh, I have not. It's been years. Is that right? Literally. What's the point of watching it when you haven't memorized it? That's true. That uh, that usually is uh, the deterrent. Is I think, well, I've seen this so many times, and uh, I actually own. It's like one of the only movies I own. <laughs> right? And I bought the the VCR tape years ago, and then uh, you wore that out. Yeah, and now we have the 25th anniversary edition uh, on DVD. So, yeah. So that's a that's what we've been doing since now, we've been here. You now know, you uh, tell us what tell us again what you do for ministry in Mexico. Um, well, our primary ministry is working at Public Christian School, which is uh, uh, originally founded as an MK school, a missionary kids school. And um, what's your job there? I am the principal, and usually I teach something. So every year I at least involve myself in one class. How many students in the school? Uh, last year we had 60, right at 60, I think. And I think this year it will be about the same, maybe 65 kids. And, and 80 kids were, we can't hold anymore. And at age groups between first grade and 12th grade? First grade to 12th, yeah, first to 12th. So so a typical classroom, a big classroom uh, was my junior, senior class last year. Had uh, 17 kids in that class. So that's big. And half of them were seniors. Okay. Uh, eight of them were seniors, so they graduated. So well, primarily, been, primarily your job is principal, right? And you, what do you do with teacher Except issues? Last year, he taught two classes also. Because yeah. you're down some teachers. This year, it look like you're going to teach again. Yep. Most most likely, I'll teach because I'm qualified to teach English. I'll probably teach. Uh, I'll probably teach that same uh, junior senior class, uh, American literature and. Uh, 
Would you prefer to just be principal, or do you actually enjoy teaching? No, I prefer to have one class. One class, if it's a heavy prep class like that, is perfect. Yeah. So, um, but two, church history had never been taught. And so I had to do a lot of research and a lot of reading and because I wanted making to do it well. Taking a college text and making it attractive to a freshman, sophomore class, uh, kind of trying to bring it down to them. And, and, uh, and so. Now, the area that you're in, are you primarily surrounded by Spanish-speaking people or English-speaking people or a mixture of both? Um, you, you have the, a, Area yeah. is Spanish-speaking people. Yeah, so you have like an English-speaking missionary school in, in the, the middle, middle of, of a Spanish-speaking. Yeah, all, right. all the neighbors are uh, speak Spanish, and and uh, but since we are technically an American school, uh, so you must speak English to go to that school. But uh, we we have opened the doors to ministry families. Um, we have a few. Parents that, uh, families that aren't involved in ministry, but they want their kids to have Christian education, they typically get in because they know somebody, mm. or they have, uh, desires to, uh, that students themselves have desires to prepare for ministry, and they realize that the best opportunities are in the United States, and, uh, they understand that when they get a diploma from Pueblo Christian School, they can pretty much go anywhere in the States, uh, assuming they're they take care of all the legal stuff, you know. Does the school just exist for the sake of fishery kids, or people from the community can yeah, well, go to school as well as they speak English? Um, what we've discovered over the years is the missionary, the North American missionary force is declining. And uh, and so we have, uh, over the years, opened our doors to other to other groups. So In order to keep the school operational. Yeah, and because, because we... So much desire to go. I mean, there are people. They're mostly coming to us. We're not out looking for. Yeah, we don't recruit anybody, Mm -hmm. but we we're in such demand that I could literally triple the population of that school just if I said yes instead of no Mm -hmm. uh, for quality Christian education. So uh, there's a huge, huge demand for it there. So um, any desire right now to to make the school bigger so you can handle it? There is a. There's a desire that if we were, if we had the room, the problem is, at, like I said, at 80, if everything is equally distributed, you know, the, the size of the classes and all that, uh, we're, we're maxed out. So we don't have the, we don't have the facilities to handle a big school, but we could be huge. And we have talked about opening, a, uh, you know, a Mexican track. Uh, and just teaching Christian education to Spanish-speaking to people. Spanish-speaking people. Um, we have opened another school that is attached to Pueblo Christian School called Pueblo English Center, and we teach ESL. We just uh, and that's basically open to anybody that wants to come in, and we use gospel-centered materials because our goal is to share the gospel. What we use English as the medium. Now, the town that you live in, Pueblo, um, in a wealthy town, resort community. Real poor area. How big is the city? It's hard to call it a town. 2.2 million. Oh, okay. 2.2 million is big. Puebla is is Mexico's fourth largest city. Oh, okay. And uh, and we are 80 miles from the world's largest city. Mexico City. So, uh, so. Is there any break between Mexico City and Puebla? There is a massive mountain. Is the only thing that keeps the two cities from being separate. Is the mountain range where those volcanoes are. 
Okay. Uh, How far away is the volcano from you guys? About 20 to 25 air miles. So it's, you can see it out there. I mean, yeah, it's closer to Puebla than it is to Mexico City, but uh, if it blows up, What's it going to destroy, Pueblo or Mexico City? Um, neither. Okay. Probably. It'll it'll destroy the surrounding villages and stuff, but... Um, it takes about an hour to drive up there, right? Or yeah, it's... Uh, to it, the volcano? Yeah. I mean, I think if it could <laughs> blow lava, if it could blow hot molten lava 25 miles, yeah. then the city would be in danger, but it's not likely. We're, we're most likely going to get... I mean, we've had some pumice rock mm-hmm. and stuff like that thrown it on the city. But uh, never anything hot. So it always so, looks in the pictures. It always looks so much closer than that. Yes, because it's huge. It's you know, it it's like it. Rainier. It, it just all of a sudden there's yeah. this monstrosity. And uh, what we need to keep in mind is we're already at seven thousand two hundred feet, and these things still wow. shoot out of the. You know, they're they're up at seventeen thousand feet. They're up another ten thousand feet. These volcanoes. So and uh, so that's why in a lot of the pictures, if you can get the right angle. And we know exactly where to go to take that famous picture of the church sitting between the two mountains, you know, uh, where that is. But, but, uh, anyway, so it's what I would like to describe as first world, third world, where the two come together. Okay. Uh, it is a very modern city. And the way I usually describe that is it is a, 12 McDonald's, 8 Walmarts, 3 Sam's, 1 Costco, Burger King, uh, uh, what is it, Carl's Jr., Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know, Radio Shack, Baskin Robbins, City. Uh, but at the same time, if you go into the outskirts, like the village we worked in last summer with the, with that team, mission team, uh, block houses with no windows, no inside Plumbing, uh, you know, right there, right, right on the edge of the city, and even in the midst of the city, you can have the big wall with the beautiful, beautiful house behind it, and lawns and gardens and all that stuff. And up against uh, that wall is a tin lean-to, and there's a family living there, cooking on a fire. Uh, so quite, quite a diversity between yeah, yeah. income levels and and it life seems life. to be the contrast. There is supposedly an emerging middle class and i believe it you know there's a lot of there's it looks like a prosperous city you know the cars are new the, the lots of people driving new cars lots of you know that kind of thing the uh, city and they may be in debt up to their nose buying driving those cars but um you don't you don't see a lot of i mean some old clunkers but a lot of uh prosperity are you guys the only english-speaking school in the city Yes, we're the only exclusively English. Yeah. Mm, okay. There's another school called the American School that teaches English, but okay. um, they supposedly have a what they call a North American track, but the fact is they rarely have the teachers that can do it. But they do hire American teachers to come down. Okay. Not they're not they're not a Christian school, okay. but they do have. Uh, now, for the sake of this interview, can I ask you about your church? My church down there. Yeah. Yes. Okay. You don't want to talk about your church up here. Yes. Okay. Well, I just uh, I have you know yeah, I, you gotta, I yeah. have two have churches. You two have churches. Yeah. Can I ask you about the previous church that you were in and your experience there? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we we were there for two and a half years. We wanted to be involved in that church because it was a plant, 
and uh, and it was a plant uh, right, uh, you know, it was basically a plant on a college campus. Uh, the University of the Americas is one of the largest universities in in Latin America. Uh, the parent campus is in Mexico City, and then Puebla also has a huge campus. And so we were excited about that idea that we were working with col- lots of college kids, and and uh, and and we knew the the family. The family are very godly people, and uh, their kids were in our school. And actually, Mrs. Hancock was teaching a Bible class uh, in the school, a girls' Bible class. And um, so we started going out there, and we really liked it, and we got involved, and. And, uh, you know, I did teaching and preaching, and Linda was involved with children's ministry. And But... Um, so your role there was as a, as a teacher? Yeah. So you were doing some teaching mm-hmm. in Spanish or in English or both? In Spanish, for the most part. Okay. Although now and then we would we translated every every uh, message. So we'd usually have, have the audio phones and have somebody translating into into English, usually. Preaching in Spanish, translating into English. And then now and then we would switch it over. So one time they'd say, Bruce, would you preach and would you preach in English? And then they'd translate it into Spanish. Um, so you were Because a lot of these college kids, uh, especially on that one campus, supposedly have to speak English. It's the first classes they take are English classes to be able to even attend school there. Were you recognized as an elder in that church? Um well, we had no official titles yet. You were, I was you certainly, were in leadership. Yeah. When it came time to appoint leadership, they asked me to be part of that leadership team. So um, they also asked Ceci to be a part of that team. And Ceci so, is a Spanish name for? Cecilia. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming that she is a woman. She is a woman. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's the rub. Yeah. So... Um, but we were we were a provisional leadership team, and so part of the reason that I hesitated just walking away. I mean, we had seen it over the years that it was okay for uh, women. Uh, there was a there was a sister ministry called Global Scope uh, that had a youth ministry that actually worked on the campuses. There were some of the kids were uh, athletes in action, and some of the kids were Campus Crusade, and and some of the kids were this Global Scope. And so there were, and a lot of that leadership was female. And so the church was actually meeting on the, on the facilities of a youth center in the youth center right across, right out the back door of the college. So sometimes those girls would speak, they'd be the speaker. And so it was, you know, we were like, well, this is, a plant? Is it just a group of Christians meeting? And so maybe a woman could share or, so uh, I was not wanting to just leave, but, uh, but there were signs all along the way that, uh, that something was, was amiss here. Cause you're one of those patriarchal, biblical literalists yeah. stuck in the first century. Yeah. I am a, a complementarian. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good. Cause I like compliments. A biblical complementarian. I think that's what it's called. Uh, believing that God, that men and women have complementary yeah. roles in the church. So, and, uh, so anyway, uh, when it came down to it and there was an official leadership team, uh, and at some point, very, in the very 
close future, we were going to be called elders or pastors. Um, and and they I were, started. Saying, they were open to the the women yes, were called well, elders because as the well. three elders in the church were going to be Todd Hancock, the the founding missionary, Cecilia Sessi, and myself. And uh, so at that point, I started asking questions. Well, what is you know what is the mission? What is your cover mission? What do they believe in? I actually did all the research of their cover mission and found out who they were and everything. And, and, uh, uh, but anyway, to make a long story short, when it came right down to it, we, we had Todd and Ceci say, yes, we believe that it's okay for women to be elders and to be pastors because we had actually stayed behind one year and delayed leaving Mexico or not even go, not even leaving Mexico at all. So that Ceci wouldn't be the one left in charge, because we thought that's what Todd wanted. Yeah. That he was, that he was hesitant about leaving her in charge. So because she was a woman. Yeah, but it wasn't that at all. It had nothing to do with that. And and so finally they made their declaration. I just said, well, what what is where does your stand? And we said, this is where we stand. And I said, well, we can't. You know, we couldn't we couldn't be a part of that. So and I wrote a very very gracious letter and. And, uh, was that hard to do all that? Yeah, it was hard because, we, how, you know, we loved did. the people and we loved the... How long had you spent there investing? We had in been work? two and a half years at that church, yeah. so. So, and anyway, so, and so there was a real struggle for us. Uh, I was actually sharing this this morning. I said, we don't believe in church hopping and we don't believe in staying home when we should be in church. And that's what we found ourselves doing for almost a year. Yeah. After that, um, because we just couldn't find, you know, the the place that we wanted to be and where we could fit in. And part of the problem, uh, to be honest with you, is the minute I sit in any church, they expect me to get up front and start teaching or take a men's class or or take a Bible study at home, you know. And uh, and so, uh, and I like to ease in <laughs> to a church. <laughs> You know, I'd like to hang around for a while and, 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 uh, but because I'm American and because most of the churches know who I am and what my job is, they, that I'm a missionary. Uh, and so it's, it's been hard to go anywhere that, where there aren't instant expectations. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm okay with expectations, but just like to be a little more gradual. So are we still, we're good. Yeah, we're good. Okay. So anyway, uh, we have, uh, we have found a fellowship that we really like. It's right by our house, so we walk to church in the morning, and uh, and uh, I mean early morning because they meet at eight o'clock a.m. So uh, because they're actually. So why did it take you so long to find that church? Well, we went there, and then we went around, looked around, and then a lot of times it was just uh, well, we don't really have any, so we ended up staying home. I ended up listening to my son preach <laughs> quite a bit because he was preaching. Uh, uh, a number of Sundays he preached up there. And you're doing that over the internet because your son's in the last one. Yeah. 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 And listening to, you know, other series of now discredited pastors, but who once <laughs> I thought taught very good, well uh, over there in Seattle. But, um, but anyway, so, uh, so it took us a while and, and we, we made the commitment and we really liked this little group and we have, there's a couple of the, uh, my secretary from the school actually goes to that church. And How big is this church? Family. 
Oh, they're 70 on a good Sunday. Yeah, okay. small group. So, and they're actually meeting in another, in another church. So, uh, so they, that's why they have to meet early in the morning because they can't meet when the other church is meeting. But. Biblical form of church eldership and leadership? Uh, yeah, there's a, Committed to there's a expository preaching? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and everybody's okay with it. Yeah, expository preaching, very good preaching. So, and, uh, so the I think. Spanish services, all right? Yeah. Yeah. And we will probably commit to, uh, a Bible study, a home study when we get back because our home is so close to the church and, uh, we'll be able to host people and, I told the pastor, I said, I would like to host for a while, just be the host, uh, and have somebody else do the teaching. I said, but at some point in the future, uh, you know, I am a teacher by gift, and, and I, you know, I could end up being the teacher, a teacher, in my own home even. So so that's kind of where we're going with that, and he's okay with that. So how, how long have you been there at that new place? Um, we've probably been there about two months consecutive yeah gone to a couple of their functions and uh they do a lot of sending teams out into the village out of the north puebla where there's a lot of villages out there coffee country up in the up in what's called this the sierra north day this the northern part of the of the state uh they do a lot of work up there there's there's uh doctors and uh dentists and nurses in our in the church a lot of medical people so and america our our churches are, I think I'd say by and large, we're, um, the U.S. is almost a spiritual wasteland. They're becoming that more and more. You get churches that are have gone liberal or they're they're not committed to expository teaching or they're feel-good Joel Osteen type mm-hmm. messages. Do you have a Spanish uh, Joel Osteen in place? Oh, oh, yes. Do you have guys like that? Oh, or, yes. What is the spiritual climate down there? Is it strongly Catholic when it comes to evangelicalism? What is the state of the evangelical influence in your area? Well, there's... Uh, Pentecostalism or char- the charismatic movement is huge in Latin America. And, uh, many of the biggest churches are charismatic churches. Are they getting influenced through TBN and, and what, and, and the, yeah. garbage, the garbage that we turn yeah. out in media? Yeah. Yeah. Some of the biggest churches in Puebla are, are hocus pocus type churches, you know, pretty shallow. Um, you know, and they do the whole prophets and healing and slain in the spirit and apostles and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, they're, and they're big. There's a, one of them's called, uh, uh, Amistad, which means friendship. Uh, that church is, uh, six or seven thousand people and they have Amistad campuses all over the city now. Oh, so they, they've adopted the whole multi-site. Well, they're not multi-site. Uh, closed circuit TV though they do have oh. pastors on all these sites. Oh, okay. So, so like a church franchise yeah, almost. Yeah, and the they have franchise. they have just mushroomed. Um, and we actually attended one that's uh, right by our house also called the called the uh, uh, what is it called the red the neck? No, that doesn't sound right. It's called the the network, I guess it must be called or something like that. It's called La Red in Spanish. Uh, which is translated usually net or network, hmm. but um, and the the day we were there, uh, the teaching was very good, but uh, but I know that's not always so, um, and it was it was charismatic and it's and it's worship service and lots of super sensitive stuff. Yeah, probably. Yeah, with yeah. a Mexican flavor. Mm-hmm. 
Is it hard to find expository teaching in Mexico? Yeah, I mean, the, the churches Christian. that we go to for the most part are called the Bible churches, and they're started by CAM International. And, uh, and some of the, uh, some of the Southern Baptist churches are very good in their expository preaching, and there are a few, quite a few of those. The First Baptist Church downtown is really, really solid. Uh, in their expository preaching, and that preacher is a leader in the, in the evangelical community. But, um, it was, it's, it's, uh, part of the, part of what was hard is that we don't have a car, so we can't just hop in the car and go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to find churches that were on a bus line. Oh, yeah. You know, and all that kind of stuff, so it was a logistical. Within uh, walking problem. distance of certain things. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and there are some of those churches out there, but again, we had one church where I was able to talk to the pastor and say, this is why we're relocating. What do you guys believe? Oh, yeah, we be- we believe in it. Now, we have some women teaching, preaching, but they're under authority. Oh. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, so, I said. Uh, in the public worship service? Yeah, yeah they're, oh, they're oh, preachers. Oh, yeah. But. They're under authority. Sure, they yeah. The pastor actually goes up and the husband goes up ahead of time. This one lady who's a gifted teacher, but again, you know, uh, the thing I had against Ceci was not her capability. She was very capable. Yeah. She could run a church uh, as far as a business or an organization goes. But uh, I said, my problem is with the scriptures, not with you, Ceci, you know. Yeah. So. Well, more, more to the point. Scriptures create the problem. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't have a problem with the scripture. No, no, I have no. I have a problem with that. With a with the situation. Yeah, the with the situation and and what the scripture don't seem to jive. You know. Yeah. So, but I, we like this little church, and I think I'll be we'll be able to be fruitful there. And there's some young kids and stuff like that. Linda loves to to work with kids, and uh, I know she'll be able to do that. So, and they're very receptive and friendly, and mm-hmm. so. Invited us out to lunch already, and we actually invited a couple of families over to to sup with us. So I think it'll be good. You live on a campus in Pueblo? No school off campus? No, I live yeah, just in a, in a neighborhood. Oh, in the hood, in the barrio. In the barrio. Yeah, in the barrio. Yeah. So how far away from the school? Uh, a, a mile. So you walk every day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I walk a mile two and a mile back. And so. Yeah. That's how you stay in such phenomenal shape. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we walk every day. So Linda's a walker. And, of course, you're walking at 7,000 feet. So uh, And there's lots of hills to climb. We live kind of at the foot of the long, largest hill in the city that can be seen from everywhere in the city hmm. called La Paz, which is the oldest colonia or the oldest neighborhood in the city. Uh, formerly rich, 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 huge mansions and... And power, the powerful people all live there, but all of that is last generation's money, you know, the old old money, we might call it, and all the new money is moved to other areas of the city. But anyway, so we walk up there. There's a big church at the top. There's like 175 stairs to get up to that. So just walking up and down that, you've gone up another eight or 900 feet doing that. So, uh, hmm. so that's how we keep in shape. So I keep in shape running after her. She's already in shape. So. Yeah. Now, the in Sunday, this last Sunday, you did a missionary update for us, and you shared with us that you 
went through a time of depression that God brought you through that. Can you share as much as you feel comfortable about what that is? You, you never strike me as the type of person ever prone to depression. Right. Uh, and that's my biggest secret because I actually deal with regular depression. Really? Right, yeah. Cyclical, monthly, like I have my monthly, my, my monthly, monthly thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, since childhood, I've, I've dealt with it. And, um, and now, have, I, have I just never been around you when you're going through your, your time? Well, I've just, God has granted me the grace to be able to move through it. Uh, you know, people that work with me, like if you ask Linda Nelson about it, she knows. Um, you know, I just had to tell her, I said, there's, there's a time of the month and I don't even actually know when it is. I can't tell you, say that it comes on the 25th and <laughs> leaves on the 1st. But, uh, it's just, uh, the way I describe it is just kind of slodging through the mud. Um, you know, pulling the foot up and putting it back down. And now is it that you get tired of, tired of service? Is it tired of walking a Christian life? Is that, it emotional, I, spiritual? Personally, emotional? I think it's, it's a, it's a physical. I think it's, you know, might be called some sort of physiological bipolar or I don't know what it would be called today, you know, but, uh, when I was diagnosed as a youngster, as actually 13 years old, it was, they were called manic depressants back then. Super highs and super lows, which is the story of my life. Mm-hmm. But, um, anyway, I've lived with it. I've never, you know, had to take any medicine or anything like that. And, uh, I recognize when I'm in it and I move through it and then I'm out of it again. And, and, uh, and it seems it, you know, it's, I would say because it's cyclical that it's physical. And, um, but what happened at the end of last year, basically, was just... End of last school year or end of the fiscal End of year? last calendar year, calendar yeah. Year, okay. Like, you know, uh, September, October, November, maybe even into December. I can't remember exactly. But um, just not really coming out of it. Just staying down and staying uh, depressed and staying tired. I mean, that's, that seems to be one of the... And... Um, and the issue was I wasn't under any stress at work. I mean, sometimes school, the, you know, even working with Christians, as you know, can be very, very stressful mm-hmm. working with families. And, you know, when God brings us all together like that, there's every kind of person. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't work stress, work related stress at all. And, uh, and I didn't really know I couldn't pinpoint anything. So, but, uh, but I was, down and part of it, as I mentioned, even Sunday was uh, uh, was discontentment. Just you know, wondering if my life was adding up to anything. All sorts of questions like that. Is this really important? You know, let's look at public Christian school and see the kids that are there. Is this is this a valuable part of the mission? Is this having the kind of impact that Jesus imagined? You know, and and, uh, and, and what about that ministry over there? Well, look what, you know, what kind of impact they're having. And so there was a, an issue of not being happy where God had me. In, in uh, terms of service and, and, yeah. and fruitfulness. Yeah. And um, so I, I don't know if the one caused the other, if I was going through both at the same time. It's possible the discontentment was causing the depression, you know. But, um, uh but I was aware of it, and it just it seemed to go on and on and on. And uh, as as 
Linda and I discussed it later. She, she, she reminded me that, you know, that we had, that we were still dealing with a lot of grief from uh, the loss of our grandson. And then hmm. I know you were involved maybe a little bit when I was posting uh, to ask prayer for this girl, Charlesy, who was a girl that we, that I met as a student and, uh, and loved. And then when we went to Oaxaca, uh, we became very, very close. Her husband, her, now her husband and her and Linda was actually present at their, at the child's second birth. She helped deliver the baby. And, uh, we were super, super tight. And then to have that happen. And then, of course, Linda's brother was dying the whole time. And she reminded me of these things, which I never thought that maybe, yeah, those, those maybe are that's things part that are of, compounding and yeah, all that. And not, you know, it's a process you go through. And I thought I was done with it, you know, like, uh, you know, um, but it actually, uh, when I really started to notice it was around Thanksgiving, which would end the year, you know, my, my grandson died on Thanksgiving day. And so she was saying, you know, think about what you're going through because I'm saying my job's good now. My life is good. Everything's good. You know, you and I are good. And, and I couldn't quite figure out what, what the issue was. Part of the solution was questioning myself about discontentment, just, uh, you know, saying, you know, talking to myself and saying, you've taught about this, Mm -hmm. you know, what causes this, what is it that you always say, uh, about discontentment or about contentment, uh, that it's learned and that if you're discontent, it's because your eyes are in the wrong place. And that's exactly that is exactly what the problem was, is that my eyes were everywhere, but uh, but in gratefulness to where God had me, because the fact is, my life was, I have a good life. Mm-hmm. I have a really good life, you know. Um, and one of the things that triggered this idea that I was, I mean, it wasn't, it was discontent, but it was really ingratitude. And, uh, and, uh, one of the things that, that really helped me to start coming back out of it was Shannon Trinidad's memorial when they started, pre- you know, pushing for that. And, uh, and I just realized, you know, thinking about Vince and Linda and everything that they have been through. I mean, you know, Shannon died at a certain time, but he was at, she was actually dead to them years ago, uh, because she wouldn't allow them to be in the life. And I just started thinking about all that, thinking, what are you got to complain about? You know, mm-hmm. it was just, uh, it was humiliating really to think that, uh, and I didn't need the Trinidad's. I could have looked anywhere in the world and seen <laughs> how much better my life is than, than many, many, many other people. But so that helped a lot. I just, I, I was ashamed of the way I was acting. And so a lot of it was just that kind of man up, you know, get over it, uh, that kind of thing. And then, recognizing that, um, you know, a verse I really like is, blessed is, is the man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, for he will be satisfied. And I've always tied that in with the whole uh, teaching on contentment, that uh, if you find yourself dissatisfied or dis- uncontent, uh, you're not looking at the right place, you're not going after the right things because 
the man who pursues righteousness will be satisfied. Mm -hmm. He will be content. And uh, so a lot of it was just going back to the scriptures and saying, let's analyze this. And uh, part of it was keeping you getting your eyes focused on the right things. Yeah, on the right things, exactly. In a way of thinking, adjusting your thinking. Lifting my eyes back up where they belong and uh, stop looking around because I knew, I know that discontentment is rarely caused by circumstances, that it's caused by, Mm-hmm. by uh, focus problems. You know? So what, what made this depression unique and maybe more pro- prolonged was well, I the think fact that discontentment was, was working its way in there? Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that was really what made you experience yeah, depression I mean, for a longer period of time. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And uh, um, But anyway, so those are the things that started to, you know, I, I, was, I was not participating in school and that kind of things and so the students started to notice that um, you know Mr. Morak you don't uh, you don't come to this and you don't come to that and I was like yeah you know just that kind of stuff so even the kids started to see that you know that my my usually upbeat personality was not always so upbeat and so they were challenging me on that too and uh, because they know what I teach I, mm-hmm. the, I, I make it pretty clear so, so those are some of the things that uh, that helped me out of it, and just getting my eyes back on the Lord. And I went back to Psalms and Proverbs as my default, uh, you know, just spending time there and and, uh, and the lifting so much of that, yeah, uh, that same sentiment expressed, yeah, yeah, and uh, lifting my eyes to the hills from whence comes my salvation, and all those kinds of things. It was very helpful. Hmm. So, have you done any? Missionary work, uh, missions trips, and teams. You, you've done that in the past a lot. The last couple of years, have you led any missions teams on short-term mission trips? Uh, no, not really. Not since well, last summer I worked with a team, and uh, I was more of a facilitator than anything. But once I got involved in it, because it was we did uh, two BBSs in pretty strategic villages and we went and got the vans and picked up kids from everywhere and brought them in and literally working with hundreds of kids and it was a blast and uh you know i ended up being right in the center of it because i'm i was able to speak the language and and, did you uh, do that during the summer months or during the school year that was during the summer months okay yeah during the school year we do take our kids on trips and our kids also form campus clubs they come to me and say mr morat could we do this Christian service club and we can do that. It's awesome. Some of the stuff that they want to do to serve the Lord. And so, uh, so uh, there are times when I'm involved with that kind of stuff, going to the orphanages. And, and also the kids and, from the school will go out yeah. and do, do what for them is probably cross-cultural yeah. missionary yeah. work. Yeah. Right Cause they're in the I city. Mean, they're Koreans and they're, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So they do, they like to do a lot of ministry. And of course we're tied in with so many missionaries. So there's those kinds of opportunities to, go out into the villages over the weekends and, and uh, so we'll see lots of that kind of stuff. So, um, but we do take, we do have two major retreats during the year that we do uh, where we take our kids, our junior high up kids out mm-hmm. and uh, and preach at them and uh, one of them is going to a mountain called Malinche which is Mexico's fourth highest mountain and uh, and uh, going on a Friday, and then Saturday, actually, all day is hiking that mountain. They go up to the top, 
Uh, it's up around 15,000 feet, 14, 14 and a half. Uh, base camp is right at 10,000, so they hike about 4,000 feet. And, uh, so you're still involved in sending out short-term missions groups now and again? Yeah. 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 So to, as a Well, I, I consider the, my job as less of being a principal of a school and more of being uh, a discipler and that these kids are, uh, not only the kids, but my staff are, uh, are under my care, you know, and so I, I look at the job as more of a, of a campus pastor kind of thing, and, and that's what I teach my teachers too. When we meet, I, I tell them, we meet weekly, I tell them, you know, I want you to teach them algebra and history and the subjects, but I want you to teach them Christ, mm-hmm. how to, how to live for Christ and how to, uh, incorporate Christ into your life and what does Christ have to do with all the stuff that you're teaching, you know, and so, so the teachers are aware that that uh, we we certainly want to run a school here, but we also have tremendous opportunities to disciple these kids. Right. So as a note to the listener, Bruce and I just finished a probably a one hour interview, was it, about the philosophy of short term missions and mission trips and, and that's not gonna be something that's public, but something that is really for my own benefit, but I am going to post probably at the end of our time here, uh, I'm gonna post a couple of stories that you shared. Uh, can I share it? Can I post the one about the group from Colorado? Yeah. The kid that was in the back of the van? Yeah. I'll post that one. Okay. And then, uh, some experience you had in Detroit and then another, uh, something Vera? Veracruz? Veracruz, yeah. Veracruz, yeah. yeah. So I'll put that at the end of this interview. Um, so, okay, so you're still involved with the missionary, uh, a lot of short-term missions trip. When, the, the missionaries that are coming to Mexico, you, you just mentioned something that was interesting to me, that you have a Korean student there? Yeah. So what, what are you seeing as far as missionaries to Mexico? What are you seeing on the field of the nations that are sending them? Because I think you said earlier, was it in this interview, you mentioned that, that, that the amount of North American missionary sending activity is decreasing. Yes. Uh, you've noticed a decline yes. in that. So are you getting then an influx from Korea and other nations of people sending missionaries to Mexico? Yeah, at least Korea. At least Korea. Um South Korea, South Korea, and not all of, not everybody. Uh, I would say right now that we are a third Korean in the school, a third Mexican, and a third North American white missionary. So the third that is Mexican are those are those ministry. Most of them are ministry, not all, but most of them okay. are ministry related. They're pastors' kids. They're okay. They're, uh, they're even national missionaries. So two-thirds of them are missionaries' kids from mission, Korean missionaries right. and American or North yeah. American missionaries. Right. Yeah. But we also have, uh, we also have uh, some of the Korean families are in manufacturing. Uh, now, now, those are Koreans who have come over there to do manufacturing? Yeah. Yeah, they're involved in businesses um, for the making profit. So, so we do have some. Missionary, missionary. Yeah, we have non-missionary business Koreans from that the Korean churches send us. So they're Christians. So uh, what is Korea's what is Korea's in, uh, interest in sending missionaries to Mexico? They work in textiles. I don't know what what it is exactly. Why why uh, why the Koreans are there? But there's a good there's three fairly large churches, Korean churches there in Puebla. In Puebla, uh huh. And uh, and most of them are involved. Uh, one uh, instance, uh, a family gave me a jacket, uh, 
They just, like, he got out of the car and took his jacket off and gave it to me because I was out directing traffic one night at a, at a big event that we had. And uh, the wind was blowing, it was cold, and I was in short sleeves. And so uh, so the next day I I um, went back to give the jacket away, and they said, no, 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 that's yours. You're, we want you to keep it. And uh, And I said, well, they said, no, we, we make those. We we make those jackets. It was a Carhartt, really a Carhartt jacket. It was really nice, nice really very nice, you know. And uh, so they're contracted somehow with Carhartt to to make millions of these jackets. And I'm assuming they ship them to the United States and and sell them. And I don't know why the Koreans are doing it, and not the Mexicans, but uh, well, the Koreans are doing it in Mexico. But uh, so we have some ministry Korean families. But a lot of our families are, are are actually in businesses there. Actually, they run stores and they uh, that kind of thing. So, um, and then we have a lot of Germans, but we don't really have that many Germans in the school. But I would say uh, <clears throat> the declining North American force is not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's an indication that the Mexican church is maturing. Mm-hmm. And handling the job that the North American missionary used to do, you know. So maybe so, North American missionaries' force is not as much focused on Mexico as right. other maybe Latin American countries right. that are less reached with the gospel. Right. Because uh, statistically, if you go to U.S. Center for World Mission or places like that, they would say that Mexico is a reached country, and so it's possible that uh, you know the Southern Baptists and groups like that are saying, "Well, let's go." Here, where the where they're not reached, you know, um, uh, you know the ten forty window and stuff yeah. like that. So, um, so that's what we run into a lot um, with that kind of thing. But I think in terms of evangelism, I think of pastoring the churches and stuff. I think the Mexicans are doing that now. So really, where the North American is strategic is in leadership training. Mm-hmm. So there, a lot of our our Americans are teachers or they're working in orphanage work or like this one family that's actually starting a BAM center, which is called Business as Mission. Hmm. And that is a huge thing that's exploding all over the missionary world, this idea of teaching people to start businesses, uh, businesses that could be used as outposts for the gospel. And, uh, and So you hire people, they come in, you... You train them disciple evangelism, yeah. uh, evangelize the workers, the right. church through starting a business. Yeah. And the business serves the purpose of yeah. lifting people out of poverty as you introduce exactly. them to exactly. working and and even industry. funding other mission uh, other mission uh, you know, endeavors. So so uh, uh, that is that's very, very big and one of the <clears throat> one of the guys that I work with down there uh, actually got huge grants you know, from uh, from the United States to to do that kind of thing and has started a very successful uh, BAM center, it's called, where there's a dental office and they're training dentists and there's a, there's a, a doctor's office and there's a pharmacy and mm. and uh, and then renting out some, like Campus Crusade has rented an office in this very, very nice facility and uh, so and all sorts of stuff like that. And out of that same BAM center, that same couple are the couple that are taking teams out all the time to to dig the wells and stuff. So that's, you know, one family that's having tremendous impact. But, mm-hmm. So anyway. So, so it, uh, you shared with me earlier a little story about how you uh, learned 
how to say happy birthday in Mexican. So ah, yeah. Share yeah. this, the, the nuances there. <laughs> At the risk that you might offend some people, which I'm not yeah. too concerned about, but go ahead. It is not my intention to offend anybody, but... uh but um, this just shows me how you've been speaking Spanish for how long? Well, a lot of years, yeah. And uh, thirty years, you've yeah. been speaking Spanish for thirty years. You're fluent enough to offer your services in translation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this might make you rethink that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, Facebook is actually the uh, culprit here. Um, I was wishing uh, my Mexican brothers uh, happy birthday and stuff like that, and I would use the feliz cumpleaños, but uh, in, on Facebook, I could not figure out a way to get the enye, that is the little squiggly thing that goes over the end, mm-hmm. that changes it from an N to an enye, okay, which are two separate letters in the Spanish alphabet. So, uh, so it always came off as feliz cumpleaños, uh, because of the, because the squiggly thing isn't over the end. And so, uh, I brought that up one day in, in, uh, in, a, in my English class, in fact, and my students started looking at each other and you knew something snickering, <laughs> and so I said, "What? What's going on?" And they said, "Well, uh, Mr. Morak, uh, the word anos is actually a an anatomical part of the body." And I thought about it for a minute, and I went, "Oh, is it that?" And they went. <laughs> So I realized that uh, that I had been basically saying feliz, complete, anus, uh, because that's what A-N-O-S is in Spanish. And uh, so I stopped I stopped using the uh, A-N-O-S on the... No more wishing people have yeah, birthday on Facebook. Yeah, exactly. At least not in Spanish. So, um, so that was uh, one of those faux pas that, uh, that I made in just uh, using the language wrong and and uh, fortunately, my kids were gracious enough to point it out to me. <laughs> when you showed up here, uh, one of the things we talked about last in our last interview, which, how long ago was that? Two years ago, maybe? It was right before you left to go back to Pueblo. Oh, oh so how long wow, ago that was 2011. Okay. Yeah, we went back Christmas of 2011. Yeah, so we were at your place right before uh, right before Christmas wow. in 2011. Wow, so that, that was 2015. All right, so... You shared the story about holding your hands behind your back and falling face down and smashing mm-hmm. your jaw and everything. And we mm-hmm. showed up here. You and I were talking about some other stupid or weird thing that you did. What was it? Remember? When you showed up here tonight. Remember what it was? Mm-hmm. I compared that to something. I, I compared that to putting your hands behind your back and falling face forward. I can't remember what it was. You mentioned something about breaking glass? Oh, with my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had broken a piece of glass, the little panes of glass, probably, uh, you know, 10 inches by 7 inches or something like that. And this door that we had on our porch had lots of those. You know, it was a panel that was put in there. Uh, it was a screen door in the summer, and then it was this glass panel door in the winter. And I broke I broke a, one of those glasses with a baseball bat, okay? Yeah, unintentionally. Unintentionally. Yeah, it was an accident. accident. Yeah, it was an accident. And so the minute my dad got home, I told him, you know, I I accidentally broke a piece of glass in the uh, on the porch. And he said, well, what did you do? And I said, well, I had my bat like this and I was doing this. And as I was showing him what I did, I broke another (laughs) one. 
<laughs> and I thought I was in big, big trouble. I was a young kid, you know, and uh, but my dad was doing everything not to laugh, you know, at uh, at uh, at my discomfort, you yeah. know, at having broken it another pe- a glass, showing him how I broke the first one. So, so what's, what's the future for Bruce Linda Morak? How you're not, you don't look like you're ready to retire. You're still a pretty young guy. Yeah, I mean, I would. Um, the door is wide open. I don't know. We're going to do for sure one more year, and then we've talked about uh, Pueblo Christian School would celebrate its 50th anniversary in uh, in January of 2017. So that's you know a little more than a year from now. Uh, so we've talked that, uh, and people have suggested to us uh, when we've talked about one more year, people have said it would sure be good if you were the principal when the school celebrates its 50th anniversary. And so that would be another year. Um, and we're open to that. But for sure, uh, this next year would complete our initial commitment of, of four years, uh, a term, basically. Yeah, and you would stay all the way past Christmas to the end of the school. Right, yeah. Yeah, we came in in the middle of a year. But mm-hmm. uh, so, that, yeah, we would go back to back to the, to the next summer, to next spring. So, uh, So we're committed to that. And, uh, you know, I have talked to the Lord a lot about the possibility of, of pastoring, um, that I, I think something that I never thought I would, I was always interested, but more interested in the pastors who were pastoring because they've been my heroes over the years, the ones that go someplace and stay put. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, uh, the more, the more I think about it, the more I would love that opportunity, so presented that to the Lord. And so are you thinking about pastoring a church in America, or are you yeah. thinking about pastoring a church in, in Mexico? Yeah, it would probably be in America. Yeah, Technically, I have, uh, to this day, 20-some-odd uh, years later, and still uh, don't feel good about my Spanish capabilities, you know, in terms of communicating. At least happy birthday. I always, yeah, I <laughs> always feel like, that I communicate at a shallow level because I don't understand the nuances of the language the way I do in English. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm a communicator. I love to, I love to communicate. Uh, so I've always felt inadequate about that. So I do the job. Uh, you know, I teach the lessons. I preach the messages. But I always feel like yeah, very mechanical in doing it. Mm-hmm. It's not natural for me. So uh, You Spanish. find that trying to do that in, a, in your second language that you're unable to uh, translate translate your English thoughts into Spanish words at the depth of yeah. thinking and theology yeah. that you're used to thinking exactly. and communicating in English. Yeah. Because sometimes I find that, that that's what keeps me from, I think, teaching or doing a lot of stuff with young kids. Like, I always feel awkward in front of a group of kids that are first grade to sixth grade. Yeah. I just, in my mind, I'm thinking something, but I'm always having to run it through that filter and then that once it comes out the other end of that filter and trying to explain it on that level so as not to lose the kids, yeah. I always feel like it's just been dumbed down to the point where it doesn't make anything for <laughs> yeah. me. So so it's been a it's it's been a frustrating. I just don't feel natural about it. God has gifted me with the with the ability of language, but I don't it seems like I don't catch the nuances. I don't speak well in the subject in the uh, subjunctive. Uh, and, uh, the moods, all the moods of Spanish, you know, there's, there's 14 different tenses. And, uh, and I speak well in, 
you know, in five of them <laughs> or six of them. So, uh, and, um, so, you know, I've, I've entertained that idea. It's a, it's what I originally trained to do was to, to pastor, pastor. And is that, and, would you consider it in this area or you're, you're open anywhere in the country? Um, no, not anywhere, not just a job for the sake of a job. I, you know, I would, uh, I would, uh, I would consider this area. We love this area, uh, especially rural, uh, small. I don't want to go to a big mega church and mm-hmm. try to, to, uh, to be in there. But, um, you know, I could see myself, uh, pastoring a small church, you know, for the rest of my productive life. And, uh, if you did that, but if God said, you know, this is where, um, I plan to use you and this is where I really want you. And, uh, you know, Linda and I are both willing to stay in Mexico as long as needed. We're even willing to move to another ministry in Mexico hmm. if the Lord wanted us because we are uniquely qualified to do that as well. So yeah, with the Spanish speaking yeah, in the history yeah. there and just the culture. We're, we're bicultural basically. So let me ask you a question about the, the pastoral ministry thing because that's happens to be something that I do and I'm interested in. How do you feel? Let me present to you a scenario. You tell me how this would strike you. You go into a church, you have an opportunity to step into a church where there is a lot, has been a lot of division in the past, a lot of unhealthy teaching, a lot of unhealthy leadership, um, and a lot of hurts and, and baggage and scars there. But everybody is there, and they're, they're, you know, it's the elephant in the room is the fact this is an unhealthy church. Do you relish or look forward to that idea? The, the concept of it, would you think that that would be in your giftedness, your your wheelhouse, as it were, to be able to step into a situation like that and right the ship and give leadership to it? Is that the type of the giftedness or calling that you'd kind of look at that and say, I think I could, I think I could come into that situation and heal, heal divisions, heal yeah. people's hurts, and guide this ship back to healthy and and then move forward. Yeah. Um. You know, I don't know if I can go into a situation where I'm the outsider and, do and work on that. But uh, I know that I have numerous times over the years, and I've been in my home church now 32 years. So I've seen a lot of it. And there have been times when, I, when I've seen that church struggling, and I, and I thought I could... I really believe, I've said this to Linda, I really believe that we could stay put in this church. Uh, in fact, that was part of our motivation for coming back when we did come back mm-hmm. and spent six years here um, and help this church through these difficult times. You know, I just see so many places where we would fit right in and so many areas where we I could just gather people together and encourage them and, and uh, you know, so... So I do have that kind of a heart, you know, to be able to fix things. But I don't, I don't know if I'm necessarily the the troubleshooter type of guy that can go in and fix broken churches. So but, yeah, you are, at least I would think, from my knowledge of you, you are the type of person who could come into a a wrecked situation and yeah. theologically write it. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, I, I I look at myself as a peacemaker, and uh, you know, to but be defi- able to but to define that, you're not talking about. Uh, you know, some people think a peacemaker is somebody who comes in and ignores the troubles. Right. You know, and we'll just ignore the troubles and that brings peace. But yeah. that's not what you're describing. No, no, I'm talking about 
the biblical way to peace in in uh, from where we are to where we need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and bringing people along. Yeah, in that way. Yeah, realizing, of course, that you know not everybody's on board. Yeah, uh, obviously, if there's a if there's a fight in the church, then uh, um, probably not everybody's going to get on board. But. Now, if you have a church situation that you could take where um, there's been unhealthy structural leadership, maybe women in positions where they shouldn't have been, like you were exposed to, that are currently in those positions, but they're willing to be taught. Mm. Would you could you step into a situation like that? Because you're a pretty narrow-minded guy theologically. Yeah. I mean, you're yeah. You and I are. On the same page, we, yeah. lock, we walk pretty much lockstep theologically when it comes to the doctrines of grace and yeah. yes. reform teaching and, and uh, you know, scriptural authority and all those. Could you take those n- narrow uh, I think so. convictions and bring them into a situation where people, though they're, they're willing to be taught, but they don't agree with you? Yeah. And well, bring them, I mean, bring them there? part of the issue is, I mean, to me has always been that um, – that the intentions of scripture are misinterpreted and manipulated to fit a, a certain theological bent. You know, when we're talking about women, the minute you bring up that issue, even when I was bringing it up in, in our meetings, uh, Ceci would immediately say, well, you're opposed to women. You think women are second class. And I was saying, I don't believe that at all. Um, you know, and so that kind of a thing where I, I can actually, I can actually believe that a woman is more gifted than me, more talented, more skillful than yeah. me. And yet she shouldn't be in a position of yeah, over me. Exactly. I just, I mean, I said to her, Sethi, I've known you for, for 20 years now. I know you're capable. It's not about you. Um, and so, so I think, I think I could do that. I think I could get people to say, you know, what does the scripture say? And that's what we need to be obeying. It's not about, how you feel about the situation and how how hurt you've been in the past, you know. We're, we're, so I think, but you know, assuming like you said that they want to be, mm-hmm. you know, they want to find the solution, they want to do what's right, but they're just entangled. You yeah, know? And you know as well as I do, stepping into a, the chance that you're going to step into a healthy church situation and take over for a guy that was was shepherding and steering that ship through healthy. Waters is slim in yeah. today's culture. Yeah, I know. You're most likely going to step into a situation that's yeah. laden with landmines. And to be honest with you, that those scare me to death. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, if God is the one calling, and you know, I mean, uh, we can't take the God factor out of so much of that. Yeah. That He, you know, if He's going to work through me, then uh, He's going to take care of issues that uh, that are beyond my scope, you know, and so, and maybe I'm not qualified, maybe it'll never happen, so, um, I guess the thing, the one main reason I've disqualified myself over the years is I'm not willing to stick around, mm-hmm. I, uh, I get easily bored, you know, I took six years at the camp, and then I was like, oh, what else is out there, and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, Eight years at, at a public Christian school, and then the next thing you know, I wanted to come back, and so I haven't been real stable, real dependable. <laughs> You're as stable as they come. 
Well, I think that's it. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm going to tack on those couple of stories here at the end of this interview so that people can uh, get a flavor for what God has done to you, through you, in different environments. So thanks, Bruce. My pleasure. Well, as I promised, I'm going to tack on uh, a couple of stories that Bruce pulled from an earlier interview that I did. And this interview was uh, is something that I'm doing with all of our missionaries for the purpose of uh, another project that I'm working on. So this, this previous interview is not going to be made public. It was only for my own um, recording of the conversation so that I had the material in the, in the recording to work with. But uh, this was a couple of, of um, stories that Bruce shared with me during that interview, and it's about some short-term missions trips that he did in Veracruz and in Detroit. And uh, so you will enjoy these, and here is the bonus material. I'll tell you about a mission trip. This is, a, this is a, one of the only ones that actually blew my mind. Well, there were a couple of them, but one was um, – the year that I told the Lord that I didn't want to work on the border and I didn't want to work in the inner city. But otherwise, I would serve them. Anywhere. Yeah. Here I am, send me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to these places. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't send me here. Or here. Availability. And, uh, and I basically called, told uh, Adventures and Missions, I'm available. Uh, I'll lead a team or I'll, or I'll teach the Bible, whichever, whichever one. Yeah. They, in the old days, they would actually have a team leader or leaders, depending on how big the groups were going to be, and they would have a teacher. So I've been I've been in, on these teams up at, in both capacities. Linda and I actually both have. Um, but this team, this one that they wanted me to go on as the Bible teacher, was in Detroit. Okay, that's inner city. Mm-hmm. Was one of the ones that wasn't on my list. I told God that. I don't. He didn't. I it guess wasn't he, a border town, though. No. Yeah, I ended up doing another trip to to Nuevo Laredo. So back before the big the cartel wars, but in this, there were two churches, and there were probably about seventeen to twenty youth and three or four adults, and we stayed in a in a convent, in a, a Catholic retreat center, right in the heart of Detroit, right in what's called the Cass Corridor, which is the worst, worst part of, of Detroit. And um, <clears throat> this must have been a while ago, because now all of Detroit is all like of Detroit's yeah. like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This was a while ago. And um, anyway, and we were going to be working in this park called the Cass Park. Uh, which is the center of the the center of this of this corridor, and uh, and all around it is just projects, uh, Jefferson projects and these projects and that projects. And I had my plan, what what I was going to teach, you know, all laid out for the whole week. And the first night, I preached uh, from Isaiah six, and we talked about sin, and uh, that whole. That whole picture. Well, what I was getting at in Isaiah 6 is um, God is looking for men and women, and you don't negotiate the job. <laughs> and, of course, you know Isaiah 6. Here I am, I'll go. And then he finds out what the job is. And had he, I think, known ahead of time that he was going to go to a people that hated him and wouldn't listen to him, and uh, to the point where he says, well, how long? <laughs> you know, how long is this, is this short term, I hope? 
And that God goes on and says, well, no, actually. But um, uh, we we never got past that message the whole week. And it was um, it was the most amazing thing I ever told because God was ready to deal with these kids. And there was weeping, kind of meeting that I wouldn't even, I would be like, uh, I kind of stay away from this kind of emotional <laughs> stuff, you know. And and then, uh, so that was the first night. These kids that I, I thought were kind of spoiled little brats just started getting really, really serious about their sin. And the next day we were out on the cast quarter and everybody there, all the cars going around were all muscle cars, prostitutes in the park, uh, uh, big blood, uh, blood mobile blood thing came by so that people could get to AIDS testing and all that kind of stuff. That was the, the atmosphere. And, uh, and some of these kids are like junior high kids. They're, they're out on the streets. And now I'm not the leader of the group, but I am a leader, you know, obviously because of my age and everything. Uh, walk, you know, the, walking up to these muscle cars and sharing with these guys, and I actually saw this with my own eyes. The guys got out of the car, and I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, thinking <laughs> that they were going to beat these kids up, and they went over and they sat, all sat down on the grass. And by the end of it, these guys in this car were praying. Hmm. It was, it was like, uh, it was like God just telling me to get out of the way because he had plans for that weekend. So, um, and nobody planned that. So that, that's the kind of thing where, where, um, you know, you can make all the plans and then if God decides that he's going to use even your inept, immature group, um, that same summer in Nuevo Laredo, we sent out teams to go door to door. And, uh, and I was there actually tr- as a translator. I was a leader and a translator for this group. And, um, and I wasn't in the group that this happened to, but that one group was walking up this way and they went to this lady's door and, um, knocked on the door. And <clears throat> she was getting ready to kill herself. And she stopped and put the gun down and went and answered the door. And they shared the gospel with her. And she said, she realized that God had saved her life, you know. And she prayed and, and received the gospel right there at the front door. And then that night we had a big rally out in this center area. This was also housing projects. And and literally hundreds and hundreds of people came out just to see what was going on. We were making a lot of noise. And we had lights. We had, uh, you know, we had done it real well, you know. And this lady came up on the stage and gave her testimony. Mm-hmm. And she shared, she said, today at 2 o'clock I was, I was killing myself. I was in the living room killing myself, and somebody knocked on the door. It was a, so uh, I just think, you know, if we had been 10 minutes late or, or not gone, you know, just hmm. things like that. So one time in Veracruz I was with a team, and I was trying to get them to share the gospel. I, I kept telling them, I'm only your translator because I – I had a tendency they to they would have a tendency to be quiet and let me do the talking, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and so we shared. Uh, this lady a lot, uh, invited us into her house, and her and her son were there, and we shared the gospel with them. And we, the kids, did it for a long time, and then they finally 
uh, were silent, didn't really have any more to say, so I took over and and uh, and got serious. And finally, I said, "Would you, you know, you sound like you agree with me? Would you like to make a commitment? You know, kind of a uh, would you like to pray the prayer kind of thing?" And she said, "No, no, I don't." And I was like, "Okay, well, because <laughs> I thought we were." On the same page, we were going in the same direction, and so I said, "Well, what? What's the holdup?" She said, "Would you come back at two o'clock, and I'll have my husband here, and I'd really like him to hear what you just shared, and a daughter. I think there were going to be. Well, it turned out there were thirteen of them, oh, their wow. family, and uh, and so I, we brought the same little team back to this house." In Veracruz, and that was a whole summer uh, where they kept bringing teams in, and they housed them in some Christian had a mo- had a hotel in the center of the city, and they rented the whole hotel for the whole summer, and just kept bringing the teams in, and they went, they literally saturated the whole city with with the gospel, door to door to door to door everywhere, which is phenomenal. But so we went back, and uh, and the lady said. This is, and she started describing who all these people were. They were all her family. And she said, now could you tell us again what you told me earlier? And uh, at the end of it, she, she said, well, uh, honey, what do you think to her husband? He said, I think we should. And then, so I said, well, you know, it's like, pray this prayer. Well, let's just pray, you know. We'll just pray and, uh, and um and the, I, I looked at the man and I said, would you just tell God what you're feeling right now? And uh, so that was the kind of thing where I don't know who got saved there. Mm-hmm. He, the, the father prayed and uh, everybody seemed to be in agreement at the end of it. Like, yeah, this is a good thing, you know. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, but when she first said no, I was like, what? <laughs> I thought, you know, I just I just was sure we were all going in the same yeah. direction and I could kind of feel that spirit and all that it, that's how it's done and, but uh that was a unique situation